Thanks for listening to the Replatform podcast sponsored by Crown Peak and Elastic Path. Um, we we do episodes every week on e-commerce technology and customer experience. Um, we'd love to get as many people listening as possible, so do tell other people about it. Um, and also, if you could share uh, our posts on LinkedIn and also give us a rating for the episode, that'd be very much appreciated. So this week, we are doing a talking heads, just myself and Paul. It's been a while since we've done an episode together. We've done quite a few where we just talk about like, the industry and technology and what we're seeing. So we thought it'd be useful to start redoing this on a monthly basis and kind of summarize the key things that we see in the market over the last few months. So we're going to start, we're going to do a few topics like general market mood, vendor platforms, investor views, trends, and fun and cool stuff. Um, so let's start with the general market mood. Paul, do you want to kind of set the tone as, as an agency leader that's working across a wide range of clients and with the paid media and the, the e-com consultancy side, what, what are you seeing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, just for context, so I'd say our client base is fairly like fashion and lifestyle heavy, um, but we've got a good kind of view of European markets with a focus on UK and then the US. Um, and then we've got a benchmark that we've run. It kind of runs in the background, but I look at it each month. Um, and that gives me a view of kind of what's happening across our brands and then uh, against each market as well. So um last month so looking back at september so for august the average across the client set the average client was plus 20 percent year on year for revenue of uh, september it's plus six um and i think september was probably one of the weaker months or probably the weakest we've seen this year um across our clients um so i think there's some months in q2 that were quite bad but september um, a number of our like, highest growth clients were flat. A number of our clients that maybe have struggled for growth were down. Um, so, yeah, it's a pretty weak month. But a lot of people are, um, I guess, attributing this to people waiting for Q4 and like discounts and everything else. And then, obviously, um, there's a lot of negativity still in the news. Um, but, yeah, the hope is that kind of October, November, December, Q4 is much stronger. Yeah, I think that kind of mirrors what I've seen. So I don't, I don't get involved in the trader side like you guys do. So I'm, I'm on ecom strategy or the technology selection project. But I definitely saw that the first half of the year was a big slowdown in the SME market predominantly. So I'm talking both the 10 million to 50 million plus also the 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 single millions re- um, retailers of of deferring larger projects. So projects that were started and then the appetite for committing to capex disappeared off a cliff when trading became harder and when people were buying less frequently maybe customer purchase cycles were, were you know bigger lags between purchases of basket sizes going down so inevitably um that money that money got pulled back and i'm seeing i'm seeing the appetite coming back a bit now actually in q3 and i'm definitely seeing more confident um i guess the I mean, the market in the in the UK and in, in Europe, I mean, globally is still not brilliant. And there's still concerns over inflation, cost of living pressure on people's spending. But I definitely think the market's feeling a little bit more confident in Q3. Um, so it'd be interesting, like the, the obvious topical one at the moment, it'd be interesting to see what um, everything that's happening in Israel um, will do to the economy, like similarly to what happened with Russia and Ukraine. Um, but yeah, I think we need to wait and see how that impacts things. 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, my heart goes out to all the people affected on both sides out there. It's such a horrible situation. Um, so let's let's move on to to the vendor platforms um, because there's always a lot of movement, um, regardless of what merchants are doing and spend on the the technology and the, especially the e-commerce platform space is highly competitive and highly fluid. Um, and I guess at a strategic level. I have thankfully seen the obsession for just pushing terms like composable as a, as a panacea for technology woes. I see that having quietened a bit. That doesn't mean that composable is not a viable strategic approach. And it doesn't mean that things like headless are not viable architectural solutions. They often are for the right business cases. But there was definitely a sense last year, um, coming towards the tail end last year to earlier this year, that there was a, a bit of rhetoric in the market and evangelism about Everyone should be going headless. And I certainly came across clients and I, we've heard we should be going headless. And, and that's fundamentally the wrong way to think about platform because headless is a solution, not a goal or a strategy. So I feel like that evangelism is is quietening a bit. Are you seeing that as well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so I would actually, and obviously we were talking briefly before we started recording, and I would actually say there's quite a lot of negativity around it, rightfully or wrongfully. I still think there's definitely a place for the composable projects and obviously headless. Um, but I feel like over the last 12 to 18 months, there's been quite a few mismatches and like misinvestment in some of those areas that's led to negativity. And I think also you're starting to see people that historically were very, or like that would advocate composable as the only way to grow an online business that are now actually changing their stance and pushing the kind of negative messaging. So yeah, I definitely feel like that's quietened down a bit. And like I say, it's got a place, but it's just not, I don't think people are looking at it as like the mainstream route forward that maybe they were before. Yeah, agreed. Uh, luckily, I'm hearing more people questioning why they would need to be headless and whether that's the right thing and whether they need to be locked into that solution which is the right way to go about it because you shouldn't be pro or anti it until you understand what what it is and the implications of your business and whether it aligns operationally technically with what you want to achieve. So yeah, definitely. And and also there have been some movements in the econ vendor landscape and there are obviously different ways that you can look at um, uh, you know, which vendors are relevant. There are what I would consider slightly more myopic views and things like the Gartner Quadrants, the Forrester Waves. They are useful to benchmark big platforms and movements um, in the market, but they're not the only source of information. But what's interesting is we've seen, and we talked about this earlier when we were playing this podcast, we've seen a few big changes in terms of, of uh, names that are on pe in people's minds now. So we've got Centra, really strong Scandinavian heritage, some, some massive uh, um, brands, really well-known brands over there, but less well-known in UK and wider Europe. They've made inroads, um, especially in the UK market as well, which is one of their core focuses. There you've got Ted Baker, that's um, a, a, a big brand that's going to attract attention. H&M Group is is massive, and there's a lot of sub-brands under there. Their largest customer at the moment is over 200 million in GMB. So that's really, and I'm, I, I, you know, we we know the guys at scale, and we, we speak positively about the platform. There's a lot of really good capability and functionality in there. Scale is an interesting one. Um, big enterprise platform that's grown out or been spun out of a billion dollar plus German retailer. So scale um, is proven. It's it's worked. They work with a lot of, I guess, 
I think their sweet spot's 100 million plus GMV, more complex, large omni-channel businesses because they've got a lot of end-to-end capabilities, including PIM, OMS, and more. Um, so those two uh, I find really interesting because they, they're obviously both investing in trying to grow out the ecosystem, the partner base, um, trying to to push the capability of functionality to tell the storage in the UK retailers. But I expect to see more from them, Centrus especially, just because it, it, it does... It's you know, tailored towards fashion and retail and smaller businesses as well as the larger ones. Um, but I think for those who haven't come across them, listen out for them, go to their events. It pays to keep an eye on platforms you don't know as well. Crown Peak, enabling organizations to build meaningful digital experiences for everyone everywhere. Engage your customers with our content management system. Reach your entire audience with our digital accessibility and quality tools and grow your brand with our product discovery solution. Find out more at crownpeak.com. What else are you seeing them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think um, one thing I was just going to add to what you said as well with those two platforms specifically. Uh, so I spent about 10 minutes at Ecom Expo uh, earlier this month. I think it was earlier this month. Um, and they had two of the biggest stands. So I think it's pretty clear that both of them are trying to, you know, make a dent in the UK market in particular. Um, and then uh, I'll kind of reorder this a little bit. So Centra, I think, have also won a number of deals that are going to uh, kind of grab people's attention. So you mentioned the H&M brands. Um, you know, there's a couple of like real market leading brands in there. Um, they've also won me and M, which is, you know, one of the highest growth premium fashion brands in the world, probably over the last three years. Um, so that's another one that's massive. It's not live yet, but you know, when we start to see that Paul Smith, some of those H and M brands go live, I think they'll continue to really compete in that probably like over a hundred million pound multi-channel fashion brand area. Um, and then yeah, scale, I haven't said as much of, but they're definitely, you know, getting some attention. Um, so Shopline um, has newly come into the UK market. So I think a lot of people will know it as a result of Deepak uh, joining them, um, who's quite well known from his time at Adobe, Big Commerce and Shopware. And he's got a good uh, history of that kind of early stage growth with a platform. Um, so I think I don't, apart from in the style, I don't know anyone they've actually launched yet, but they've made some good hires. They're massive in Asia. So I think, you know, they're one to keep an eye on. Um, surprisingly to me, um, without being too quick or Adobe is still picking up quite a lot of net new business from what I hear. So I think a lot of it's B2B or like particularly complex B2C that's maybe not in some of the kind of consumer verticals, but yeah, so they, um, are still picking up deals, I'd say, even though some of the more like recognized brands might be moving away from them or moving to some of the other platforms. Um, and then James, you can talk about THG. Yeah, I find it interesting because you've got these, I guess I call them proprietary for want of a better word, where their platform as a service spun out of a retailer that's grown its own technology. And THG, I've been interested to see how they're they're trying to reposition themselves in the market and they're trying to tackle some of the frustrations that the merchants have had on the platform because it is essentially like a black box operation where you basically pay to take their platform and um, it's, it's not like you can extend customized control how you want. You take you, the platform is as it is. Um, and I think they, they've obviously been listening to that because they've, they've announced um, new capabilities. They've um, The main one is about a headless ability so that people, if they want to, 
use the platform, but create their own front end. I, I have not looked at it. I have not seen it. I don't know what the what the capabilities, how extensive the APIs are, how performant, et cetera. Those are always the questions that you need to ask when a platform is re-engineering and announcing a new capability, just like any of the other big platforms where they started to announce the headless capabilities. Um, but I think it's interesting. They, they've clearly, they've got a new, I think there's a new CEO. They, they've clearly identified that there are some limitations and barriers that are, that could lose the merchants and they are tackling those with, with what I think is better feature releases than they've had for a while. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that they obviously announced a strategic partnership with big commerce. So kind of being a bit more flexible around modularity at what they're offering. And I believe they're now a bit more, I could Shopify a bit more as well. Um, so they clearly, yeah, kind of changed their strategy a bit, which is very positive. Um, last one on the platform list. So big commerce launched Harvey Nichols, I think earlier this month, um, this is likely the biggest brand on the platform alongside Ted Baker at the moment. Um, I think this was quite interesting. A lot of the Magento agencies I saw were like ripping into the site, but I think it's important to remember that, you know, any major site that goes live is going to have issues. And also a business of that scale and that kind of with like that kind of, you know, it's an old business, lots of traditional stakeholders in that. Um, sometimes getting that site live is, you know, the best thing to do and then kind of work on it beyond, as we've both said many a time on the podcast. So I think people, yeah, should be a bit more forgiving yes. um, when a site of that small gets live. Find me an e-commerce vendor that doesn't have a site that's gone live that you look at and go, that's a dog's dinner. Because it, it it's down that's to such it. a wide variety of factors, isn't it? It's not just the... Yeah, the e-commerce platform could be phenomenal, but if the implementation and the front-end build and the theme development, et cetera. So there are so many things. And also, you're right, there's sometimes businesses make compromises and go, do you know what, we want to be live three months quicker than ideally we should be. Therefore, we'll accept there are some issues and we'll iron them out in a fast follow continuous improvement program. Um, so yeah, people need to wait and give a site time. Be constructive rather than distractive, right? Um, let's talk about, come on, let's get, the, right. let's get the elephant out of the room, mate. As a man who loves Shopify, um, and I have to say that over the years we've had that, we've had a little, I, I think Big Commerce is better as SaaS. No, Shopify, and we, we've got a head to head on it. I think Shopify are, in the last 18 months, have been quite phenomenal in how they've literally gone in and gone, right, what are all the objections from like large, large SMEs into enterprise against Shopify compared with, legacy platforms like a Salesforce and Adobe and let's just strip those away now so that people can't turn around and go well you can't do that the platform doesn't work so well for international so you were at Enterprise Summit we just did a podcast on it let's not rehash that but what is your summary view what what where is Shopify focus going forwards yeah I, yeah, I think um, like to your point then around like our views 18 months ago, two years ago, I don't think anyone quite for, could foresee how aggressive Shopify had been. Um, and I think the summary from that event is they are hyper-focused on enterprise. Like, and like you just said, there was one slide at that event that just had every single blocker or you know issue that's going to impact some stakeholder on a screen. And they basically said, this will all be done in 12 months and as always with Shopify there's no dates but uh, I'm having spoke to the product team a bit like they are pushing it and I think they hired Bobby who's the chief revenue officer there and he came from Microsoft 
Um, and again, like I've never seen someone have an impact as quickly as he has at Shopify by from what I've heard. Um, and the levels of aggression within his talk and like some of the messaging to the existing Shopify partners essentially saying they need to step up if they want to come and service the enterprise along with the Accentures, the uh, PwCs, you know, even some of the new agencies like Astound and Trisons that are going to you know, help them win those bigger deals, then they need to make change. Um, so I think overall like, it's pretty clear that yeah. having ha- made a huge dent in the mid-market, they are very focused yeah. on the enterprise now. And a big thing for me coming out of that event was they actually, I think they know how to service it and they expect the lead times, they expect to need to wine and dine the C-suite of these like, you know, billions and billions of dollar companies. Um, yeah, so I think that it will be an interesting next 12, 24 months in yeah. the end of the market. Elastic Path is on a mission to break through the barriers that prevent commerce leaders from delivering extraordinary shopping experiences. Both business and tech teams are able to innovate on their own terms fully embrace composability, and in turn, never compromise on what's possible. Learn more at www.elasticpath.com. Yeah, I think this is really interesting. The, the maturing of, of a, um, a platform ecosystem around service partners is critical for enterprise because we've talked about it before and, and the, the lack of attention to detail in things like discovery phases and the ability to adequately resource I get into the detail that an enterprise business that has, you know, counterparts across different, different capabilities and isn't just like two people in an e-commerce team. It's a massive difference in terms of, and you see that where you, you look at that type of business, you think, well, which agencies could, could actually deliver the service that that customer exists, uh, demands and yeah, interesting states. Um, the only other thing I wanted to flag as well, which I thought was quite interesting recently, I don't know whether it was a couple of months ago or last month, um, is that there are there's evidence of businesses who've grown up by building their own flexible tech stack around their business model to be like you know nimble and agile but then reach a level of maturity where they go the cost and effort to scale and maintain that with our own technology team and certain ongoing support maintenance etc actually it's not worth it we just need to go to best of breed and we need to use like modern technology stacks and reduce our internal development costs to focus more on trading and growth so the Dollar Shave Club was the one that, that really struck me. They had, they, they built their own and now they got off the shelf. So they're using, like, they've moved to Shopify for Ecom, Order Group for subscriptions, Clavio for marketing, Gorgeous for customer support. I find that interesting that businesses reach that point and you either become a behemoth, so you have something like an Amazon that will never, ever be, like, paid a third-party Ecom platform because of the sheer complexity and sophistication. You have other businesses that reach hyper growth. They go, actually, do you know what we need to simplify? So I think that's quite an interesting, and also, it's I guess it's 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 quite a strong tick in the box of a of those specialist platforms that that business considered they were better than their own ability to to build out capabilities themselves. Um, it's weird. Yeah, I think um, Dollar Shave I think um, Glossier was like the first big one in the market, which was like. You know, there was so much talk about how Glossier had benefited from having their own bespoke um, econ staff, like back office and front office. And then all of a sudden, you know, they'd moved to SaaS and they were so much more nimble and there's so much talk about it. And I think, yeah, Dollar Shave Club and the most recent one, I think there'll be a lot of others as well over the next few years. 
<laughs> yeah, and I can totally understand it because do you want to build out and maintain an engineering team of 200, 300, 400 people? The complexity of managing that structure, process, team management, motivating, giving those people enough work to keep them enjoying their roles so that they don't leave. And then replacement and recruitment of high-end um, engineering is, is expensive and complex and, and highly competitive versus a SaaS company. They might have you know, two, 3,000 developers on their, uh, just constantly churning out. Um, okay, so let's move on to InvestorView. So we've got a few things around M&A, and this is a really interesting space. And we're not even going to do this justice today, to be honest, because we're going to pick out a couple of key ones. There's lots of movement all the time. Um, lots of businesses have been getting investment. But we're talking about specifically acquisitions. Um, the interesting one for that has happened very recently is fresh in people's minds. Um, Next has been buying up a lot of brands. Um, uh, you know, it, it bought out Made.com um, more recently um, and bought it onto its own um, retail platforms. See, Next is is obviously the the leader in omni-channel e-commerce and has built out the technology capability through its own platform. Fatface is the latest brand they've announced purchasing, and the 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 inference in the market of, from the at least from the PR at the moment. Is the, the, the business will probably go on to the next online platform. So there's a lot of M&A stuff going out in e-com. What, what other ones do you want to pull out? Yeah, so I think um, one that I was going to mention was Fraser's group that bought Sports Shep. I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, which is a German sporting retailer. Um, and the reason I've mentioned that first is just because I think it's going to be so interesting, that kind of battle between, I mean, next are really kind of going up against Fraser's group, uh, both from a high street perspective or retail perspective and online. Um, and then obviously M&S have a relatively similar strategy. They've bought out a few brands and you know, marketplace is obviously a big part of their strategy. It's going to be, um, it's going to be interesting to see the typical of those three, how they, um, how they compete. Um, so yeah, beyond that, so Dot Digital acquired Fresh Relevance uh, for I think around twenty-five million pounds, um, which I think will help to broaden their platform and give them a bit more of a kind of unique proposition in the market. Um, Clavio IPO'd, which was massive news a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, responded well initially. Currently at around thirty-two dollars per share, which is similar to what they. Um, opened that so performing fairly well I think a lot of people are quite bullish on that one um, and then Shopify invested in there which I thought was quite interesting so that's B2B marketplace um, I found it interesting because a couple of years ago they launched handshake.com which no one ever talks about and I haven't heard them mention once since um, but that is also a B2B marketplace so yeah be interesting to see what their long-term play is there between those two uh, things basically. Yeah, the the next one I find really interesting because they've they've nailed omni-channel commerce, the the um, the online to store uh, experience, the capabilities, the inventory management, all the management is really smart. They they have one of the big success stories there. But what's interesting, they they've got a big marketplace of lots of different brands, but then they've acquired key ones. And you look at you look at the types of brands they've got. It almost feels like they're trying to cover the life cycle of a customer because they've got the brands that, that target um like new um bay, uh, mothers and fathers of young kids um then you got i guess fat face is quite an interesting because that fits into lifestyle um a fashion brand that from um kids to teens to above 
Then you've got furniture as well, so you can start pushing people when they get into that uh, life cycle of bit, uh, of um, having their own places or renting or buying. So it feels interesting the type of brands they're buying. It's almost like it's it's complementary um, from a from a, uh, a lifetime value point of view. So let's let's watch that space. Yeah, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see. Like, I mean, even like they could definitely like chip away at retailers like Argos as well, like and Sainsbury's Argos. So I think um, next, given you know how fast they're growing and how smart they seem to be, I think they could, um, yeah, chip away at a few other players and take some more market share for sure. Yes, intrigued to watch watch this space on that. I see what we'll see whether there's more acquisitions in the pipeline. Um, now let's pick out something something fun and cool then. Um, in our last few minutes of this this podcast, so I'm not going to um, pull out anything that's remotely connected with generative AI. I feel like that has been smashed to death in the market. Um, it, yeah, not to say that generative AI doesn't have valid use cases. There's lots of use cases around at the moment. Um, the best one I've seen is is being able to create product content at scale, automated with controls and allowing human editors to then go and tweak, refine for publishing, speeding up time to market for content. Um, but that topic's been done to death. The, the that's fun and cool for me is um, I saw random story somewhere that What Three Words has got a strategic partnership um, with Woosmap, which is intending to give online retailers um, who obviously need to collect customer addresses uh, the ability to to let people um, specify exact locations alongside traditional postal addresses. I thought that was quite cool. I use what three words. I think it's a really really cool app. So uh, I guess I guess people are always looking for a point of difference or a way to attract people or make life easier online. I'm intrigued to see where that goes and, and what type of retailer start to use that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I have two uh, written down here, but I might just, one other thing, just relative to that, if we're talking about random cool things. Um, so something that I saw recently um, was Acne Studios have changed how they proposition shipping on, the, on their PDP, and they've got the best um, geolocation-based uh, localized shipping proposition I've ever seen. So not necessarily in terms of the actual proposition, but they somehow are able to reference shipping against like such a granular level of where you are. So when so when I was in LA, they actually said shipping to, and then it was a street that I was on at the time. Um, and you know I was in a client's office recently, and they got the street that I was on. And even when now they get like the area perfect. Um, and I personally found it really, you know, compelling as a user. So I think that um, is pretty cool. And it'll be interesting to see how many other people figure out how they're doing that and then try and roll out the same. Um, and your um, geolocation reference basically just reminded me of that. Um, and then two things I've written here that are quite topical. So Twitter slash X are currently testing live shopping. So their first POC is with Paris Hilton for a product launch. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes and whether live shopping does end up kind of going a bit more mainstream in the UK. Um, if it does, I doubt it'll be on Twitter, but it's interesting to see them uh, testing that. And then TikTok checkout launched in the US. So a number of our clients are in the process of uh, doing integration work for that at the moment, basically. 
Um, and again, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But yeah, a few of our clients are pretty confident that it will have like a material impact for them. Uh, typically clients that have a good audience on TikTok. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that performs. Cool. Um, excellent. Well, let, let's stop there because there's um, so many things we can talk about. But let's the, the aim of these episodes is to focus on what we think are the most interesting and important in the market. Um, if you think we've missed anything obvious or you work for a technology company that's done something really interesting and exciting, uh, and by that we generally mean interesting and exciting, not just that you've announced a new feature. Um, you know, We don't know everything, so we're always keen to hear new stories. Do reach out to us. Reach out on LinkedIn. Send us an email. We'd love to hear what, what cool stuff's going on out there. Um, wonderful. So thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. As we say, we're going to do these every month. Um, and if you do want any specific focus or topic um, within our monthly updates, drop us a line and we'll happily consider it. And before you go, don't forget to give us that rating wherever you are listening or watching. Thanks very much, everyone. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.